smells Jesus-y. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We are the aroma of Christ. God has spoken in many ways. Welcome to Smells Jesus-y, the podcast from Three Crosses Church. Today, we're starting our new series, Power is Perfected in Weakness. In this episode, Matt Waldron will be speaking to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1-6. to Power is perfected in gentleness. Here's Matt. Well, I reckon there are three kinds of movies. There are movies where the hero wins. There are movies where the hero is right. And there are foreign movies. That's my experience. Uh, Yours might be much more nuanced and sophisticated than that. Uh, Just recently, uh, my father was kind of half watching a movie with us while he kind of came and went from the room and did other things. And towards the end of the movie, he said, hang on is this the end of the movie? Do you mean the bad guy wins? Like, that's not the kind of movie I like. And my response to him was even more telling. I just, you know, just said, I don't know, this is the prequel. They can't beat the bad guys in the prequel because that's got to happen in the next movie. Still the same assumption. And so my father's taste in movies, I think my taste in movies, I think most Australians, the kind of mainstream taste in movies, shows that we're attracted to strength and success. Well, Jesus says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. And that's really the the big theme of the last section of 2 Corinthians, chapters 10 to 13 that we're going to be working through over uh, four talks. There'll be a couple of interruptions because we've got camps and guest speakers and stuff going on, but when you're hearing from me over the next few weeks, that's what we'll be looking at. 2 Corinthians chapters 10 to 13, power made perfect in weakness. Um, This is not really a new subject in the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, uh, Paul has been uh, saying and showing them that uh, God works powerfully through weakness. So, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, from verse 6 says, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So God delights to work powerfully through people, through weak people, through people's weaknesses, to show that the power comes from Him. And so that's the case uh, in Jesus, His Son. Uh, Over in uh, chapter 5, Verse 15, it says, He, that's Christ, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Christ was died and raised again. Why? So that those who live because of Jesus can live for him. Christ's death and resurrection shows that he's worthy of us living for him. Uh, that's a very weak way of getting people to live for you, letting them kill you, and then coming back to life again, which is obviously, it requires incredible power 
but its incredible power shown in the context of weakness. And so that means for followers of Jesus, our experience is of power through weakness. Uh, So at the start of uh, the letter, when Paul is saying, you know, hello, this is from me, Uh, I thank God for you, this is how I'm going, you know, the start of the letter stuff, Uh, he explains that he's been having a a really hard time. Uh, And so uh, he says uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 from uh, verse 8, we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Right, he's, he's... had some terrible times. And a little bit later, in this last section of the letter, in chapter 11, he goes on and gives a huge list of things that he's suffered. And yet, just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, he says, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. In fact, by participating in Christ, following Him and suffering the way He suffered, we actually get all the promises of God. So chapter 1, verse 20 says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So Paul's kind of been developing this theme throughout his letter. Power is made perfect in weakness. But in the last four chapters, 2 Corinthians 10 to 13, he really presses it home hard because he is defending his own ministry, his own leadership as a Christian leader. There's uh, some people who are kind of critical of Paul because they say, well, he's, he's not a very good leader, he's not a very impressive leader, he doesn't inspire people, he doesn't inspire confidence, he's not very good, he's not very skilled, you know, there's, he's just a bit of a disappointment. And he wants to push home as hard as possible that he doesn't deny that any of those things are true, in a sense. Like, he's, he's not very impressive, he's just a regular guy. But what counts is God's power made perfect in weakness. And so, uh, the people he's writing to in Corinth are in a culture that's very attracted to strength, very attracted to obvious displays of ability, uh, has very clear ideas about you know, what a good talk, what a good speech should be like. And he wants, to, he wants to press against those ideas. No, there's a much more attractive thing, that his power is made perfect in weakness. So I think uh, through these chapters, he gives sort of four ways of showing the attractiveness of power made perfect in weakness. They are gentleness, loyalty, humility, and service. Gentleness, loyalty, humility and service. So that's where we're going, uh, these four talks. I mean, they're all overlapping, but we're going to concentrate on one of those each time. And so today is gentleness. Uh, Forgive me that slightly long and rambling introduction. But now we're going to get down to our Bible reading today, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 6. Here we're going to see that Christian leadership is gentle because God is gentle and because God is powerful. So verses 1 and 2 show that Christian leadership is gentle. Verses 3 and 4 show that God is gentle. And verses 5 and 6 show that God is powerful. So let's start. Christian leadership is gentle. Have a look at 2 Corinthians 10 verses 1 and 2. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away, 
I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. So here is uh, Paul starting off straight away saying he's going to ask them to do something on the basis of the humility and gentleness of Christ. Right, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. So straight away, he's referring to the things he's already said in the letter, the things they already know, right? that Christ is gentle. Uh, Christ being gentle didn't stop him from making a whip out of cords and driving people out of the temple who were doing the wrong thing. Uh, Christ being gentle didn't stop him from uh, confronting people face-to-face, criticising people, speaking out against the leaders and eventually getting himself killed. But, uh, as he says uh, to Peter, when Peter draws a sword to defend him, don't you realise I could call on my father and call on a a legion of angels? Right, an army of a thousand angels would just turn up if I asked and defend me. But he doesn't do that because he's gentle. Uh, uh, John tells us in his gospel that when the men came to arrest Jesus and they said, uh, you know, we're looking for this guy, and Jesus says, I'm the man. He doesn't, doesn't run away, doesn't back down, he just straight up tells them. Uh, they fall back and fall down in front of him because he was so personally intimidating. Jesus uh, was and is incredibly gentle and it's on the basis of that gentleness that Paul is asking to do something. He's, he's wanting to have the same kind of gentleness, follow Jesus' example. And uh, so, what is he, what's he asking him to do? What is he gently asking of them? Verse 2, I beg you, right, he's begging, that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. He's begging them, not to put him in a position where he has to be less gentle. There are people who are making accusations against his ministry, saying that instead of living the way Jesus teaches us, he's following the world's ways. And that's how he's trying to exercise Christian leadership. That obviously would be a terrible thing. And so to defend his ministry, telling about Jesus, he has to defend the way he does it. And so... If he can't persuade them by his letter, he's going to have to turn up and set things straight face to face. He's completely willing to do that. He says he's expecting he's going to have to do that with at least some of them. But he really doesn't want to do that. He would prefer to be as gentle as possible. He would prefer for them to be convinced by his letter. That that would sort it out much more gently. For their sakes, not that he's unwilling to be uh, bold, it's not that he's incapable of confronting people, but for their sake, he wants to be as gentle as possible. What sort of accusation is it that people are making against him? Uh, He references it in the second half of verse 1. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away. It becomes clear that that's the accusation. Uh, A few uh, verses later, uh, down in uh, verses 9 and 10, We'll look at these more next week, but this is where it's going. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters, for some say, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realise that what we are in our letters 
when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. So the main sort of criticism seems to be of Paul that uh, in his letters he seems quite uh, impressive and confident and forceful, but when you meet him in person, he's just kind of another guy. He seems, he seems quite quiet and unimposing and you know, it's, they're accusing him of being the Wizard of Oz, right? They're saying you're putting on a big show to try and make people think you're important and powerful, but actually you're just pretending. You're just a hypocrite. And Paul, uh, well, he's got two things to say about this, hasn't he? One is, uh, no, 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 I can follow through in person. But he's begging them not to make him have to. The reason it seems like he's got these two ways of operating is because he wants to be gentle to them. Because that's what Jesus is like. Back in, uh, I think it was the mid-15th century, oh, I'm not going to remember the name, uh, Reg, uh, Reg, Reg something, uh, Borgia, Borge? De Borge, that's what it is. Uh, he became uh, the Pope. Uh, Pope Alexander VI. And uh, he, by all accounts, at the time, was uh, an excellent Christian leader. Uh, easy to get along with, uh, intelligent, you know, very much appreciated both the church and uh, the rest of the arts and the humanities, great speaker, great to be in conversation with, uh, politically both capable and careful. Uh, some of his successors, uh, popes in later centuries, described him as one of the most outstanding popes since the Apostle Peter. Well, apart from that requiring you to assume that Peter was a pope, uh, it also requires you to assume that some of the things he did were good because everyone else was doing them, like bribing his way into office. I mean, everybody else he was competing against were trying to do the same thing, it doesn't really make it good Christian leadership. Uh, the thing he's most renowned for is his open political nepotism. That is, he would raise up his relatives into positions of power, uh, you know, to make money. Lucretius Borgia? Lucretius? That's not, that's not the name that Wikipedia told me. But anyway, there's probably, with, with these big figures in history, there's always a bit of... Um, uh, there's, 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 you know, competing information around their personal details. Uh, one of the things there's competing information about, I think, is whether he went as far as killing people to get his family into office. Uh, so, you know, uh, he, his uh, uh, vow of uh, celibacy didn't stop him from having lots of mistresses and a number of children, uh, some of whom he promoted to, you know, archbishop of various areas so they could basically get paid money for being an archbishop while not actually doing any work. Uh, now, I think, you know, everyone recognises that's not what good leadership looks like. But is it enough to say that Christian leadership must be refrained from being awful? <laughs> I mean, no, Christian leadership is supposed to be gentle, Paul is saying. Uh, between, uh, what are the dates? I think it's 91 and 2007, 
Lindsay Brown was the director of the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students. The only reason I'm telling you that detail is because somewhere in that time, I heard a talk from him in which he told a story that I want to relate to you, and I don't remember all the details, so my apologies. I hope you'll indulge me. Anyway, he had this great illustration about a man that he knew who had been, I think he was from the UK, and he'd gone as a missionary to Eastern Europe somewhere. Forgive me, I can't remember the details. And uh, this guy had been involved in uh, student ministry at a university and uh, in, in very challenging circumstances, but he was such a quietly spoken, you know, gentle guy that he could get away with doing ministry because, you know, he didn't seem worth stopping. And, uh, uh, you know, he, uh, he would, you know, generally try and get other people to come and, and give the talks. He didn't want to push himself forward. Uh, but occasionally, you know, there'd be no one else to give the talks, so he would give the talks. They weren't very good, but he was just such a nice guy. People listened to him, and God used him to bring people to follow Jesus and grow people up in serving Jesus. Uh, apparently, great things happened. But when his time there came to an end, he returned to the UK and was looking for uh, employment in Christian work. And this was, if I remember correctly, at the time that Lindsay was giving this talk. And he said, this guy is currently looking for work in the UK. And Lindsay was worried that this guy would have trouble getting work because he was just too gentle. Uh, you know, when he talked about his ministry experience, he wouldn't talk himself up enough. He would just explain what God had done despite his weaknesses. Uh, when you asked, you know, you asked to listen to his talks or try and look at his ministry skills, he didn't seem that great. <laughs> he really wasn't that great. And yet God and his kindness had been reliably working through this gentle, humble person. And it just raises the question, are we as serious about gentleness as Paul is? Well, uh, what, what is it that makes Paul gentle in this way? It's because he recognises both God's gentleness and God's power. So have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, uh, remember, we've had a whole bunch of the letter already where Paul's been telling us what his experience of this is like. He says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Uh, he's not saying that he has uh, these special powers. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. The, the tools that God has given him for the job have God's power. God works powerfully in Paul's ministry. But it's not because Paul himself has any power. And so when Paul is seeking to be gentle like Christ is gentle, he, he doesn't have the experience of having all this power in himself and kind of holding it back, right? We saw that he talks about sometimes even being despairing. He doesn't have this sense of having all this power in himself and holding it back so that he can be gentle to people. No, no, no. He has this sense that God has plenty of power. 
And God is working it through little weak Paul. You see, God is the one being gentle. Though we live in the world, the world which is opposed to God, uh, humans who are beset by all kinds of weaknesses, we do not wage war as the world does. He's not just saying he doesn't work according to the world's way of doing things. He's saying that's not where the power comes from in his ministry. It's not from his human ability. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. It's, it's God's power working through his weakness. In other words, it's primarily God that's being gentle in his ministry. It's not that he's uh, walking around feeling bulletproof, feeling strong and holding back. He's walking around feeling harassed and tired and un in pres under pressure and in danger but knowing that God is powerfully at work, God being gentle through him. I don't know um, if he still does this, but Sylvester Stallone used to collect rare books. So Sylvester Stallone, the kind of heavyweight action hero who wrote and starred in the Rocky movies about the uh, you know, boxer's rise to success and everything, Sylvester Stallone at least used to collect rare books. I don't know how that worked in his life, but I, imagine, I can imagine him in his home gym, you know, finishing a workout, you know, with uh, the boxing gloves on the, the punching bag, and then taking off his boxing gloves, walking into his library, and putting on those soft white gloves to take a book off the shelf. I mean, okay, in real life, he'd have a shower in between. I don't, you know, I don't know anything about his personal life, but, but there's, there's a contrast there of this strength to, to kind of fight, and yet restraining that, having some protection from that for this precious collection. Uh, so, for example, he had, uh, you know, uh, collections of, uh, you know, great authors, uh, collections published, you know, over a hundred years ago, sometimes with uh, personal notes from the author, which uh, some of those got auctioned, you know, for thousands of dollars. It's, it's that kind of collection. Uh, I've never had that kind of book, but if I did, I'd be wearing soft white gloves. Uh, Paul is portraying himself as God's soft white gloves. He's not portraying himself as being strong, but he's not portraying himself as valueless. Right? God has a, a wonderful role for him in being someone through whom God mediates his power to people gently because he loves them, because we're precious to God. And so uh, when we feel like Paul felt, when we feel like we're weak, when we feel like we're not good enough, when we feel under pressure, when we feel inclined to give up, when we feel like we have nothing in ourselves that God could use to do his work in the world. Well, at that point, you are perfect to be God's pair of soft white gloves. Right? He can work powerfully through you, and yet because it's through your weakness, God is gentle to the people in your life. 
Uh, do you know the story when uh, God appeared to the Israelites on Mount Sinai to give them the Ten Commandments? Do you remember how the people reacted? They said to Moses, please tell God not to speak to us anymore. It's too scary. You get God to talk to you and you pass it on. When Moses asked to see God, God said, I'll let you see my back. Because if you see any more than that, it will kill you. Why did Christ come as a baby to grow up to be a man in an obscure tribe on the outskirts of the least important city in the great Roman Empire? Well, God the Son could have just turned up in his full glory, but it would have killed us all. God works through weakness, not because he lacks power, but because he's gentle. God could have just snapped his fingers and made Paul an impressive, strong, healthy, powerful man. God could just snap his fingers and give you good health and righteousness and whatever things you think you lack. But that's not his plan. His plan is to be gentle, for you to be his soft white gloves as he works powerfully in the lives of the people in your life. So how powerful exactly is God in doing that? Does that restrict God's power in some way if he's being gentle? Can he work fully powerfully as well as fully gently at the same time? I think that's the point of 2 Corinthians 10 verses 5 and 6. Here Paul describes what it's like using these weapons that have divine power. He's basically using the imagery of siege warfare. So some people are saying, look, he's just the Wizard of Oz. He just puts on a big show, but he's really got no power. And he says, my next visit... I'm planning to lay siege to your city. That's kind of the imagery. So verses 5 and 6, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. So this was kind of how a, a, standard, a standard issue ancient siege worked, right? So you had the army led by the general, comes to attack the city and says, hey, you really should be part of our kingdom. And the city says no, and they keep the, the gates locked. They've got the big, every city had big high walls, you know, as big as they could afford, and whatever other defences they could mount. And so then they lay siege to the city. They kind of attack it. They try and wait them out to make them weak and starving. And, you know, eventually they've got to destroy the wall so they can uh, get in. Uh, they're going to take the people captive, uh, so uh, at least make them you know, under the rule of their kingdom, uh, probably take a bunch of them off into slavery, and they're going to uh, have some kind of punishment for disobedience, some kind of punishment for not just agreeing to be part of our kingdom in the first place, and certainly that means the people who are in charge of that decision are not going to be in charge of that city anymore, and anyone who continues to uh, oppose the new reign is toast. That's how siege warfare worked. That's the kind of imagery Paul's describing as his plan for his next, his next visit. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Instead of them having physical obstacles for Paul to get over, he says there are these 
not high walls, but high arrogances, these pretensions of thinking they know better than God. So they'll have to be destroyed. He'll take captive not people, but their thoughts to make them obedient to Christ. He's not looking to make people obedient to himself. He's serving the kingdom of Christ. And we'll be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Uh, The punishment that's going to go on is not about Paul lording it over the Corinthians. It actually relies on making them partners in the work of Christ's kingdom. Uh, It's a little hard to know exactly how he sees that metaphor being played out. But you see, he says, we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. So he's, he's, he's picturing them obeying Christ and uh, being involved in that being prosecuted. Uh, we're going to talk more about that next week. The thing I want to uh, just focus your attention on now is that this is a war of belief, not a physical fight, a war of belief, a war of trust, a war of knowing God, that is having a relationship with God. And so in a sense, it's not a war at all. You don't make friends with people by conquering them, which is why Paul's not really conquering. He's being gentle. But God is working powerful, uh, powerfully through Paul to bring down the arrogance of opposition to him and turn those people to follow Jesus. God is working powerfully through Paul's ministry to uh, turn people who were selfish and arrogant and just drowning in pagan idolatry to know the truth about God, their creator, and his love for them and to turn them to obey him. God was working powerfully through Paul's ministry to discipline people so that they would take it seriously and turn to Jesus rather than facing God's final punishment on the day Jesus returns. So the obvious way Paul would do that is by teaching them, by teaching them what to believe, by teaching them uh, how Jesus is worth their trust, by teaching them who God is and what he's done for them. But they would not be the only weapons. Right? I think the reason he doesn't give a list of weapons here is because I think it's not that simple. Uh, obviously, he'd be praying for them. Uh, he's told us in a couple of chapters' time that in his ministry there, he has patiently demonstrated the signs of a true apostle. God has done miracles through Paul to show that he genuinely is one of the people that Jesus has set apart to authoritatively spread his message. So he's got a range of tools at his disposal, but they're all about getting people to believe in Jesus, getting people to know God personally by turning to trust Jesus and follow him. And so, and so that message, the message of God's word, is, in a sense, the primary weapon. And notice how powerfully God works through this kind of ministry. Uh, I mean, all of it's, all of it's powerful. Uh, you know, demolishing, demolishing arrogant opposition to uh, Jesus. Paul knows that very personally in his own life, doesn't he? 
I mean, he was leading the let's stamp out Christianity movement. He was, you know, involved in organizing Christian leaders to be stoned. Uh, he was traveling around and getting himself authorized to travel around stamping out Christianity. But God just completely upended him. It's not a problem for God's power. And similarly, uh, in the works of the apostles, we see God's power to punish people who are not taking Jesus seriously. And so in the book of Acts, there's the, the story about the, the couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who are lying to the church about their generosity. And so Peter says, God's not going to stand for that, and they drop dead. There's not a limitation to God's power in uh, demolishing human arrogance and taking people captive and punishing those who refuse to turn. But I think the thing that stands out at me most in these verses is the second half of verse 5. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I don't know about you, that sounds very powerful to me. I don't know if you've read the book 1984, George Orwell, I was forced to in school. I think now I'm old enough to appreciate that it's a good book. Uh, if you don't know the story, it's about this society where the government is basically trying to exercise thought control. They're trying to make people think the way they want them to think. And so they've got this massive propaganda machine. They've got surveillance everywhere. And uh, they have very structured, brutal brainwashing techniques to try and make people think the way they want them to think. And I think the, the question that you're left with at the end of the book is, is it doable? It seems like it's working. And depending on whether you're a pessimist or an optimist, you either think, yeah, this, this works, or you think it doesn't. But it's, it's a near thing. Uh, it's really hard to control other people's thoughts. To be frank, it's hard to control my own thoughts. Uh, are all of my thoughts about people who hurt me obedient to Christ? Is every thought that I ever have about any member of the opposite sex obedient to Christ? Are all of my thoughts about work and recreation in relationship to God and knowing Him? Are all of my daydreams hoping in Christ? Is my last thought before I go to sleep at night about Jesus is my first thought when I wake up in the morning about Jesus I don't know about you I find these challenging questions but Paul is confident that God has the power through his ministry to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ that seems very powerful to me and so Paul is aiming very high He's very, aiming very high with his ministry goals. But he's also doing it very gently. 
How can you have that combination? Only because he's confident in God's power. He's confident that God is powerful enough and he will be at work. As he tells people the gospel, teaches God's word, prays, and all the other things he does. That's the kind of gentle confidence we want to have as we encourage and challenge each other. As we pray for each other, we want to be praying not just that we're coping with life, not just that our uh, struggles are lessened, uh, not even just that we have success in our endeavours. There's nothing wrong with any of those prayers. But Paul's aiming much higher that God would take captive every one of our thoughts to obey Christ. As we share with each other, as we uh, tell each other our struggles, and as we tell each other what we've been learning from the Bible, we want to have this gentle confidence in God's power to aim for every thought captive. So that in our relationships with each other and in our relationships with everybody else, in our family, our friends, our communities, we might be God's soft white gloves. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, please help us to see more clearly your gentle power in Jesus. Help us to hear your word as it is. The power that created the universe and yet which you speak to us in ordinary human words. Help us to feel a sense of your presence with us that reflects that your Holy Spirit sustains all things, that your Holy Spirit must work for any of us to trust in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit worked, was the power through whom Jesus worked his miracles and through him he was raised from the dead. And yet he gently reassures us in our weakness that we are adopted as your children. Father, please uh, give us confidence in your power and gentleness so that we will be content for you to be powerful through our weakness because that's how you're gentle to the people around us. Help us to trust you in this more and more. Amen.